Blog Talk Radio. Corruption. Racism. Xenophobia. White supremacy. Healthcare protections hanging by a thread. Law enforcement encouraged to commit acts of brutality. Peaceful people being separated from their families. And at the helm, a man beholden to Russia who is so unhinged that his actions could actually lead us to nuclear war. Join Liberal Dan Radio, Talk from the Left, That's Right, Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Central on Blog Talk Radio. Together we must stand against the destruction of this country and the ideals we hold dear. Before it's too late. That's right. This is your host, Dan Zimmerman, coming from New Orleans, Louisiana. To join the conversation is area code 914-803-4131. That's 914-803-4131. If you're listening after the live broadcast, you can always leave your comments, questions, concerns, etc. on the show thread at liberaldan.com or on facebook.com slash liberaldan or at liberaldanradio on Twitter. We're going to get to the topics that we will be talking about over the course of the show. But first, this week's headlines. Jeffrey Jeffrey, Jeffrey Epstein was found dead in his cell this weekend. They claimed it was suicide. Nobody believes that. More on that later. The person who should be governor of Georgia, Stacey Abrams, has decided to not run for president and instead is going to focus on fighting voters of suppression. Liberal Dan Radio wishes she would run for the Senate as well. I wish her everything but the best in her attempts to making voting more fair, and she is going to try and target you know, those areas as, as state laws allow for them to do so. And it's on her Twitter feed. It is on, I, I have actually given a contribution already. It was announced yesterday. I contributed already. And you can see the link at Liberal Dan Radio or on uh, Twitter, or if you go to Facebook.com slash Liberal Dan, there is a link there as well. Another candidate that Liberal Dan Radio has urged to run for the Senate is actually going to do so. John Hickenlooper has announced that he would be doing just that. He will be giving up his attempt to be president, and instead, because of many people uh, urging him to do so, he actually has decided to go ahead and run for the Senate, uh, which should result in another pickup. Uh, for the Democrats. I think he will be the favorite to defeat Gardner, which is a very, very good thing. In science news, uh, an Ebola cure did so well in testing research that they have actually stopped testing and are distributing it. Yet, we still have people in this country who want to deny science. Donald Trump, the supposed tough businessman, has balked on his announced tariffs to China. Looks like someone isn't very good at playing chicken now, is he? But he does love his trucks. I mean, 
well, that's this week's headlines, but holy crap, if you haven't seen the whole I love trucks bit that he did, it's just about as bad as his whole they laid this concrete out for me so I won't get my feet wet thing that he also did. It's really embarrassing. Um, Epstein, you know, when I first heard he died, I mean, everyone everyone first hears Epstein dies, and, and you can't just think about this and say, well, it was more likely suicide than I, I don't think so. I mean, it's it's it just if if I had that in my jug of milk and I smelled it, I would throw the milk away because it wouldn't pass the smell test. Or, or is it possible that Epstein committed suicide? Sure. It's also possible that if I flip a quarter, it's going to land on the edge. Now, of course, conservatives and liberals are going to disagree wholeheartedly as to why or who was involved in the supposed suicide. And there are some definitely some interesting conspiracy theories out there, but it's you are a billionaire who is tied to many powerful people and you're about to be put on trial for potentially, you know, life. If not, I don't think if it's in New York, I don't, it's possible he could have gotten a death penalty. I, I would hope that are probably not available, but it should be for, you know, raping kids. But if you have that amount, bunch of information that he obviously had, there's motive. There's this absolute motive. And if I was, well, I'm a betting man at some times. I mean, I play poker. I would bet dollars to donuts that he probably was not doing it by himself. Even the way they described it was just like, he tied the sheet to his bed and he leaned forward and like, how, how would that even work? Like I would, you, you, you'd think, I would think that if I tried to do that and if I wrapped a sheet around my neck and tried to lean forward on my knees from the bed or whatever, that eventually I would probably go limp and I wouldn't be able to, there wouldn't be anything for me to I'd flop down and the, the resistance would no longer be holding me. So it doesn't make any sense. But, oh, we actually have a caller. So let's go ahead. I don't have, I'm not going to grab your name. Hey, uh, caller, what's your name? Where are you from? Yes, sir. My name is Mike from Minneapolis. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you today? Doing well, sir. Thanks for taking my call. Oh, it's my pleasure. Um, we're talking a little bit about Epstein, but, I mean, until the bottom half of the hour, we could, we could talk about really anything you want to talk about. So, what do you want to talk about? Yes, sir. I was hoping to talk about, like, um, I noticed from the Democrat perspective that they seem to be repeating the same mistakes that led to the 2016 election. And I was okay. trying to get and, your thoughts as to, yeah, go ahead. Oh, what, what mistakes do you think that would be? I mean, there there are plenty. Trust me. I mean, yeah. there are plenty of mistakes, but. I think one of the things I noticed was, and, and I say this, I'm an independent myself, so I'm not like on either side, so I kind of should look at both objectively, but the Democrats, what I've noticed is they seem to not have realized why they lost the 2016 election. And I would say okay. the key reason is, you probably would agree with this, is they lost the upper Midwest, states like Pennsylvania, Michigan, Ohio, Wisconsin, Indiana, sort of that upper Midwest area. 
And a lot of those yeah. areas are, you know, these are traditionally Democrat states for people who vote, who've been voting Democrat generationally, really. And they lost a lot of counties in particular that voted for Obama twice overwhelmingly. And these same people now turned around and voted for Trump. And I found what a lot of Democrats seem to have allowed, one, the Russian collusion story, and number two, being able to dismiss people as racist and bigots as a way of some, like not taking any responsibility as to why they failed to connect with that particular part of the country and why they lost all these people that usually vote Democrat. And I think uh, because of that, I see them now replaying that and staying in that same mindset and then acting like things are going to be different this time around in 2020. And I think they're headed I mean, to another disaster, unfortunately. Part of that is, I mean, you had Donald Trump, who you have a lot of blue-collar workers in those areas who are traditionally people who will vote for, for Democrats. And because Democrat Democratic Party has traditionally been one that's been very strong on labor. And you had Donald Trump making a lot of promises uh, when it comes to um, – you know, jobs and, and, and what, what his reforms might have been and, and, and what, he, what he could bring to the table when it comes to additional jobs, additional money. Um, take into consideration the, the steel industry where you've had union workers suffering along with the companies that were doing poorly and they heard Donald Trump's promise that he will bring more money in because his trade practices and what have, whatever – was going to bring in more money for steel, and then that should result in more money for the steel workers. And the steel water workers ate it up. And then when it came to pass, and it, it started off well, as you, you also, steel you workers. You can't forget about the Detroit Economic Forum. I mean, that was a big deal. When he was speaking at the Detroit Economic Forum, and you had the heads of GM and all the different auto industry heads all seated in the front row, and he literally addressed them directly and threatened them with 35% tariffs if they continue to take jobs overseas. Because remember at the time, GM was about to open a, a massive plant in Mexico. Right. And he literally directly threatened the GM. And so, and even the words of Michael Moore, who obviously is not a, <laughs> not a Trump supporter by any measure, he talked about obviously. how in Michigan, that was a huge deal. And people in it Michigan had never heard anybody talk to anyone regardless of their Democrat or Republican ever say anything. And the reason is that we all know why, because they're beholden to these same groups that are doing this. Well, and the problem is, though, that is that, that that's why they, you know, you got to, I mean, I'm just saying, trying to see from their perspective as to what sure, caused the, them to get a lifelong but, Democrat to vote for Trump. But the problem is, is that again, they, they believe Trump on the steel industry. They believe Trump in the auto industry. But in reality, you know, just because they opened the plant here doesn't necessarily translate into, oh, you're, the workers are going to make a lot more money. Um, that that was. That's something that. Oh, no, but we're, we're talking about having trying to. Well, his argument, this is what people liked, was trying to adopt more protectionist trade policies and try to penalize companies for shipping jobs overseas and try to create more incentive to keep them here. Because that's where American workers lost the leverage in the first place. The reason they were able to collectively bargain to get better pay and better benefits was because most companies had to do manufacturing in America. In fact, I think in the 1950s, they said 80% of the world's manufacturing was done here in the States. And that because of that, people were able to collectively bargain because, you know, these companies had to do business with American workers. That's where they were to get the good pay and benefits. And that's why we saw that, you know, massive surge in the middle class during the fifties and sixties. That's where that all came from. 
And then when True. we had these new trade policies and then companies started to go overseas, it undercut all the leverage American workers used to have. And now companies were able to then, if, if people try to collect a bargain and go on strike and get better pay, the companies would say, well, screw you. We'll just go to Mexico or go to China and we'll just, we'll just avoid the hassle. And that's what happened. That's why the middle of the middle America was decimated. And so what well, a lot think, of people I... realize were, so that, that's my point. So Trump, yeah, I'm not saying Trump was genuine in what he was saying, but he at least had the foresight to see this as an issue. He talked about it when no other Democrat was willing to talk about it with the exception of Bernie Sanders. And that's why he resonated with people. And the but, Democrats and, and, and that, don't that, seem to understand that. I don't understand how they can't see that. And that's and that could help explain my next point, or at least partially explain the next point, which was the fact that in the states that, quote, mattered, because in the way that we run elections, we don't have actually a national presidential election. We have a presidential election in somewhere between five to ten states, because every other state doesn't matter, um, because we all know where those other states are going. Uh, you have... Voters who but Democrats have a built-in advantage with the electoral college, so why would they complain about that? I, I don't think that that's true. With the electoral college, uh, how, I wrote an yeah, article. Democrats on, get uh, the three biggest states off the top. They get New York, California, Illinois off the rip. Right, but those states don't have. Right. So what's what's the only big state that Republicans consistently get? It's Texas, and even Texas. It's Texas, but you have a speak, whole lot of changing states. demographically. To the point but where Texas is going to be a purple state please on here. Maybe. But the thing is, is that and I talk about this a little bit on liberalband.com. I had an article because there was a USA Today article about uh, the Electoral College versus the popular vote and the push to try and maybe do an end around with uh, the um, all the states trying to get together and say, OK, well, let's if, if we can get enough Electoral College votes worth of states together to actually agree to just give the electoral votes to the person that wins the popular vote, then we're just going to do it that way. And he was arguing against it. But the thing is, is that if you apportioned the congressional seats like our founders wanted to, uh, it, and not using the, the bare bones numbers, which would result in like thousands of House of Representative seats, which would be ridiculous. Yeah, right. But if, if you just simply took like Wyoming as an example, and you made one Wyoming worth a congressional seat and round up, I guess, to the, around to the closest Wyoming, uh, when you're figuring out the seats that every state should have, there should be about 100 more seats in the House if we weren't just obsessed with keeping that you know, 435 or so uh, House seats that exist currently. So smaller st- because of this, smaller states like Wyoming have an extreme advantage in the Electoral College, even more so than what the founders had intended simply because of the fact that, you know, a Wyoming vote was like maybe 500,000 people in Wyoming, and there are three, uh, they get three electoral votes, so less than 200,000 people per electoral college vote, where in California, I think it's more like 700 per electoral college vote. So, yeah, the the big states with the big cities tend to go— Well, that's an argument to change the values. Of the, of the right, electoral, that, like right, the number but, of electors per state, that's different. But even with that, you do have to acknowledge the fact that Democrats. I mean, think about it. Before the 2016 election, what was what was, what was all the things, the narratives you were hearing? They were talking about how Trump had this narrow path, and it was difficult because based on what maps are, you know, how the electoral map usually plays out, uh, it's a very narrow route for a Republican to get in in the first place. Because Democrats now, like I said, not only do they get 
the three biggest states. They usually get the Northeast and the West Coast. And Democrats for years have always gotten the upper Midwest. Everything right. from and Minnesota also all the way to Pennsylvania. The Democrats so would also the typically Trump get. Was, it's not because the Electoral College is flawed. It's because the Democrats failed to connect with people in the Midwest. Well, and, well, I, and, well, and I'm just noticing Democrats the, want to blame. They want to blame the Electoral College. They want to blame Russia. They want to blame racism and bigotry. And it, it allows wow. them to escape any personal responsibility of saying maybe we did a poor job connecting with people in a certain part of the country, and that's why we lost. Because if they did I'm not, I'm not and saying they won the states, they would have won easily. It would have been a landslide. I'm not saying necessarily it was the electoral college that Trump won, even though he won with less votes. But there were there were a substantial number. It was a survey that was done on this. There was a substantial number of, as you said, you know, these people who resonated with Bernie Sanders because of what he was saying about the economy and about corporations, um, and you know, people who voted for Bernie Sanders in the primaries in states like. Wisconsin and Michigan, Pennsylvania. I think that was the third. It might have been a different one. I'm not sure. Um, states like these. Ohio. Maybe it was Ohio. Maybe. Well, I mean, normally Democrats win, win at least Iowa. at least yeah, one think, of yeah. those: Ohio, Pennsylvania, Florida. Um, but with Michigan, Wisconsin, and I think it was Pennsylvania. Uh, you, you, the amount of people who went from Bernie Sanders in the primaries to Trump in the general election was more than the difference that would have been needed to, to turn the election the other way. And we can that's talk about, you know, point. we could talk about it hitting in, that, in that's the That's another reason our Democrats are at fault because they rigged. We all know what they did in the primaries. They totally rigged uh, it in Clinton's favor. I mean, Bernie everything Stan- from here's, the DNC here's the problem with that questions for here's the problem with Here's the problem with that argument of the whole rigged election thing. Um, Bernie Sanders had a blueprint on how to defeat uh, Hillary Clinton with uh, her having lots of support from the party at the very beginning. Barack Obama wrote that blueprint, um, and he showed a clear path on how to do it. Part of that included gathering those progressives in the South that exist, you know, not the old conservative Democrats or really Republicans, but getting the, the, the larger and growing number of people in the South and getting those delegates. And that's how Barack Obama beat Hillary Clinton was he swept her pretty much right. through the South. And when asked why when asked why Bernie Sanders when asked why Bernie Sanders that's a reason wait, it's hold not on. just because of his strategy. Right, but, but when asked why Bernie character. when asked why Bernie Sanders didn't go to the South, uh, he shrugged off the South as being Southern De- Southern Democrats as being conservative Democrats, which if he paid any attention to what Obama did, Obama wasn't winning old-style Southern Democrats. Obama was winning the minority vote. Obama was winning the young progressives. Obama was winning people who maybe are, were new voters, people who were excited about his his election. And even though right, the party he was black, that's why they did it. They didn't they didn't jump the, on board because of his policies. Because if you were to look at it today, Obama would be a moderate Democrat by today's standards. He wasn't a progressive by any means. I've heard that argument. I mean, as well, I remember but, uh, 2008. I've, I volunteered in the Obama campaign. I followed it very closely. I know what happened in 08. He was able right. to run the table in the South because black Democrat voters in the South got on board to support him. Not because he was a progressive. They just got on because there was a momentum of this could be the first black president, and people jumped on board. That's why if you but, turn around and look in 2012, you saw what he went from like 69 million votes in the general election down to like 65 million. 
he lost nearly but, five million votes because that same momentum and excitement of now let's elect our first black president wasn't there, and it, it just didn't work. That's why Bernie Sanders could never do the same thing in the South. He could never. I don't know because when, when Bernie Sanders when Bernie Sanders started talking about uh, um, economic justice in terms of social justice and bringing that to minority communities, he was starting to get some traction, but he missed a huge opportunity to get those. And I'm going to let you make one more point before I hit a commercial break, but uh, he missed it. It was a big opportunity that he lost out on. And by his ignoring the South, uh, because he, he admittedly ignored the South and by doing so, he put himself in an insurmountable hole. It didn't matter whatever, you know, there were, there was definitely wrongdoing during the last election. I called for, uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz to step down for, for her actions and her behavior. Uh, I was uh, Donna Brazil, who's from here in Louisiana. I, I didn't like what she did with the campaign questions. There was obviously some people who were not playing fair, but I think Obama had a big uphill battle in that, in that 2008 election because Hillary Clinton was the presumptive nominee at the start of the election. And then at the end of it, Obama wound up taking it simply because he campaigned smarter. I was arguing, I was like, why are you campaigning in North Carolina? It's ridiculous. There's no reason for you to campaign in North Carolina. You're never going to win North Carolina because it's in the South. And what happened? Well, there was another, there was a Senate election that was also um, beneficial to Wait, the Democrats. Are you, are you I don't know. I don't know. Now, campaigning in the, yes. In I don't know. Carolina? I don't know who's, I don't know who's coattails, ran, who's coattails, well, why, why, who why rode who's coattails in North Carolina? In North Carolina? Because of consider. Because, I mean, in the South, let's be real, a large percentage of the Southern Democrats who vote in primaries are African-American, like a large but, percent. No, More but so I mean, than in states in the North. But even though, even then, so any, why would any you be targeting Any good black candidate is going to have a great chance. I mean, Jesse Jackson won South Carolina. No, but I'm talking about why would you, why would you campaign in – why would you focus so much on North Carolina when North Carolina was a state that in the general election was going to go to a Republican? And the reason was I was wrong in that his – targeting North Carolina and going down into the South actually helped him win North Carolina in a general election too. So not only did his foresight of, or did his strategy work in that he was able to get the progressives and the young vote and the minority votes out to support him in the primer, which brought him the path to the win the president to, to win the nomination. It also won him states that nobody thought he would have won in a general election too. Um, right, exactly. By Bernie, by Bernie that, Sanders that, that completely. That's an indictment on Hillary Clinton and her campaign. Because you could point out her lack of campaigning. They weren't effective. They were actually really incompetent on a lot of levels. And to your point, her likability ratings were so far lower than Obama's was, both in 08 and 12. And so what I find is Democrats are not willing to acknowledge that, number one, they did a bad job on messaging. And another big one being Hillary Clinton was not a good candidate. That's a fact. Almost anyone else could have beat Trump. Trump was literally tripping over coffee tables and stepping on rakes every single day. He said four or five things a week that was torpedoed anybody's campaign. And they still and had, lost to this guy? Well, that's because that's had, because the Democrats decided we're going to now attack white people. This is what they did, and I'm saying this as a black person. They were pushing this white guilt thing, talking about privilege, talking, literally accusing people who dare not support Clinton of calling them a misogynist. I mean that's literally what they do. They were like they were acting as if they were like talking down to people, and that's why people said, "Oh, screw you! I'm not going to vote for you." That, that well, that's, going... that's that liberal cosmopolitan attitude. People liberals who come from New York and LA and DC have, and they don't understand that people who live in Middle America don't think like that. 
And instead of rather focusing on how can we connect with people, they were preaching to people and telling them you're supposed to think like this, and if you don't, you're X, Y, and Z. And that's why they were labeling whole groups of people, all kinds of names, and people got pissed. And people weren't willing to say it publicly, but they were like, well, when I go in the ballot box, I'm not going to vote for you. And I'm just – I'm looking at it like I'm hoping they would have learned. I mean Bernie Sanders talked about this after the election. He gave a speech on how identity politics hurt the Democrats. And Van Jones from CNN did a documentary called The Messy Messy Truth where he went into middle America, talked to people who voted for Trump, who had voted for Obama twice, and tried to get an understanding as to why they did it. And these are the only people I've really seen do that. Otherwise, for the most part, the rest of the Democrats have stuck their head in the sand and are going to double down on the exact same thing they did before. And they actually think things are going to be different this time. And I'm telling you, man, we're dude. He's going to get reelected if they keep this up. And they're not. Gonna, and they're going to. Who are they going to blame then? Okay. Well, I'm going to let that be your last point. I'm going to put you on hold for a second because I'm going to head to a commercial break because I do have to get a couple of things done before my guest. Uh, but I do want to say though that when you're bringing up the idea of privilege. Uh, the idea is of, of privilege is that, you know, if you go from Bernie Sanders to Trump, to me, that is a vote of privilege. It's simply because of the fact that single most important election, the single most important issue in the last election should have been in everybody's mind the Supreme Court. Uh, because as we've seen now, Trump got to name two Supreme Court justices that should have been named. One of them should have been named by President Obama, and one of them we could have named uh, had uh, we actually won this election as well. Uh, now we wind up having a court that's much more conservative that puts people's rights at risk. And uh, if you're willing to uh, put your personal needs, I guess, above the needs of everybody else, that, that is clearly a vote of privilege. And, you know, can you be blamed for it? I think it's a possibility that you, maybe you should be blamed for it. Anyway, let's go ahead and take the next commercial break um, and come back and take your calls as well. 914-803-4131. That's 914-803-4131. This is Liberal Dan Radio. Talk from the left. That's right. Are you planning a trip to Disney soon? Do you want help avoiding spending mistakes and making the most of your vacation? Then check out BudgetEars.com, a new site devoted to helping you get the most mouse for your money. What kinds of tickets should you get? Is the dining plan a good deal for you? Should you stay on grounds or not? Should you buy park hoppers? Many other sites are filled with information about what other people like to do. But BudgetEars is geared to help you make the best decision for you. So check out BudgetEars.com or go to YouTube.com slash BudgetEars and help make your trip the best it can be. BudgetEars.com is not a travel agency and it is not affiliated with the Disney Corporation or any of its holdings. Are you someone who is looking to get into the ride-sharing business, be it for a side hustle or a full-time gig? Are you currently a rideshare driver wondering how to increase your earnings? Are you simply a new rider looking for first-time rider credits? Head on over to RideshareDan.com for those first-time rider credits, sign-up bonuses for new drivers, and my tips and tricks to help you make more money in the gig economy.
And welcome back to Liberal Dan Radio. Talk from the left, that's right. This is your host, Dan Zimmerman from New Orleans, Louisiana. And we're talking we're talking about the elections and whether or not Donald Trump can win or not with a previous caller. And of course, if you're still listening, welcome to call back and another show. I'd be more than happy to have more debates with you. I just had to, I had to get to my guest who's going to be calling in a few minutes. And I, had to, I want to play my quick bit before um, I actually... Actually, I probably just play the bit when I'm talking to him, and then we'll, we'll bring him on the air, I guess. Although there's usually two bits that I like to play, um, so we'll we'll figure it out. We'll get it done. Um, so let's. Uh, actually, this might very well be him as well. So let's go ahead. I'm going to start uh, playing my words of redneck wisdom. As a reminder, uh, I, I do not endorse these words. It's me making fun of these words. Uh, so just. Because uh, we have this plethora of redneckery going on down here in Louisiana and other places in the South, and um, obviously I like to poke fun at it when I can. So let me uh, go ahead and play that, and we'll be right back. And now this week's words of redneck wisdom. Brought to you by Liberal Dan Radio. This is Radio Free Dixie. Diversity in the Old South and the Confederate States of America is one of the many untold stories of history. Take the story of Holt Collier, who was born a slave in Mississippi and while still a slave, became famous for his hunting skills. He killed more bears than Davy Crockett and Daniel Boone combined. More importantly, At the outbreak of the War for Southern Independence, Holt joined the 9th Texas Cavalry and served as a Confederate sharpshooter. And there was Confederate General and Chief of the Cherokee Nation, Stan Waddy, and Captain Harvey, a practicing Jew who was a leader in the Confederate battle to retake Galveston. The Sons of Confederate Veterans invite you to educate yourself about the South's proud history at MakeDixieGreatAgain.org and join with us to Make Dixie Great Again. You have just heard more words of redneck wisdom brought to you by Liberal Dan Radio. Talk from the left, that's right. I mean, when I heard their first commercial, I just about died. But when they start talking about the diverse culture of the South and then start talking about how how diverse it was because one of their slaves was one of their sharpshooters in the military and then then mentioned uh, the Indian and the Jew. Yeah, no, that's (laughs) and then, of course, it's make Dixie great again, because, of course, they're riding the coattails of this racist bigot we have in office and i'm sure lots of people love to hear that stuff but that's why i'm here for to to make fun of it so now i do have on uh on hold and we're bringing on in a second uh candidate for the fifth congressional district uh in new york uh covering queens and nassau uh if you could follow on twitter at uh shania 2020 uh and you can see that link on at Liberal Dan Radio on Twitter as well. So without further ado, uh, it's also known as Sean, so Sean Chaudhary. Uh, thank you for coming on the show and being my guest tonight. Hey, Dan, yeah, no, thanks for having me on the show. It's an honor. And 
Man, let me tell you, I, I was listening to that uh, Redneck Wisdom, and I was sipping my water, and I think I spit it out. So <laughs> it was, uh, that was pretty interesting. Yeah, I, I, I've had – there was the, the original one that I had was uh, there was this guy who went to CPAC, and, like, mm-hmm. there was, like, one room. There was one room for all the um, all, all the black conservatives that were there, and yeah. he he managed to offend them. Um by suggesting that um, that Frederick Douglass would should have thanked his former slave owner for giving him a place to stay and food to eat, and I'm just like, oh, what? Yeah, so <laughs> he, he was like deplorable before deplorables became deplorable, and so I, I decided to just make that a little bit, and you know, um, usually usually when I find something written, it's me doing the redneck voice and talking like this, but when I found that commercial, I was like, this is perfect. This. <laughs> Yeah. This guy is just the extreme example of what, all of the things that are wrong in this country and down in the south. So, um, but you do have some problems up there in the north too. Uh, we, yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. You are uh, seeking that not necessarily this isn't necessarily a racism thing, but uh, currently the uh, person who holds uh, the seat that you're running for is Democrat uh, Representative Gregory Meeks. And when trying to, you know, I want to find out. You know, who, you know, I do want younger, more progressive voices in the Congress. I think this is a great time to do it. I think, you know, surfing this blue wave is, is you know, gives a lot of younger people um, the ability to get those ideas in there and replace the old ones that are stale. Uh, but one of the first things I found was uh, something on crew, Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington. That, that is named, the first thing everyone finds. <laughs> yep. Who found... Gregory Meeks named one of the most corrupt members of Congress, and there are a lot of there's a lot of corruption in Congress. Obviously, I mean, you see, you know, the Mitch McConnell's getting campaign contributions from voting machine companies after voting against a law that would have helped with some, uh, you know, oversight over voting in, in and of itself. So, you know, obviously there's corruption to go around, and and, and no one party holds the, you know, the a monopoly on corruption, but yeah, the the guy you're trying to replace is, is seems pretty terrible. So well, I guess, but before we start into why he's terrible and, and let's just talk a little bit about you, uh, the issues that you support and um, what you think you're going to bring to uh, Washington DC, obviously besides somebody who's going to be, um, on the up and up and not corrupt. Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, so a little bit about myself. I'm the son of uh, working class Bangladeshi immigrants who actually came to the U.S. more than 20, 30 years ago and like searching for the American dream that so many immigrants have like strived for. Uh, my father was a unionized restaurant worker and he actually ended up working in one of some casinos for, for many, many years, um, working in one of his restaurants inside the casinos. He served drinks, he served food, and uh, he ended up managing one of the restaurants. My mother, she cleaned hotel rooms for a living. And um, I guess what they didn't know was that how difficult it was trying to achieve that American dream. Um, and, uh, you know, trying to find the economic stability, we, we actually moved around a lot. Uh, before moving to New Jersey, we were living in Queens. I was born in Queens. Um, and then we had moved to a middle-class neighborhood in New Jersey. Um, and we passed around a lot. Um, my my, pa- my parents had a lot of uh, financial struggles, 
uh, you know, the the economy didn't make it that easy on them. And uh, that experience really just showed me how profound, like, the difference of marginalization between communities of color and socioeconomic class, like, really is. So growing up as, like, a post-9-11 millennial, so, like, experienced racism, Islamophobic rhetoric firsthand, um, I could see that we just weren't accepted in, in today's America. And, you know, 9-11 happened <laughs> in 2001, and not much has changed. It probably has gotten even worse now. Um, and, but my parents, they worked hard. You know, they worked hard. Um, and then when 2007 happened, uh, we actually ended up losing our home. My father uh, was laid off, and I was about 13 years old at the time. He got Lyme disease, <laughs> and before, before he got sick, actually, it was the first time I had got exposed to the labor movement. So I was out there with him picketing with thousands of other families trying to save their livelihood uh, from being taken away from them. My mom ended up working extra shifts at the hotel. Um, I got my first job at 14, uh, just working at flea markets, selling clothes, just trying to help end me. Um, but no matter what, it still wasn't enough. And we ended up losing our home, and we moved to New York, and we've been living in the 5th Congressional District uh, since 2007, and actually live in the projects currently with my family um, in South Jamaica. And um, you know, after high school, went to college for a little bit. Um, at this time, and just just to, for people know, some people mm-hmm. might not know that's Jamaica Queens, not Jamaica Jamaica. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot of people. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. <laughs> My mom, um, my mom yeah, actually so, was raised in Jamaica, Queens, so I knew, but other people might not know. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks for pointing that out. Um, but yeah, I mean, so shortly after in coming to Jamaica, Queens, we see that um, you know a lot of issues that people face here um, are issues that other people face in other parts of the country. Where uh, before living in a nice middle class home in New Jersey, we've lived in two bedroom apartments of a family of five, where it was rodent infested and the community was very underserved. We actually lived in Detroit at one point, too, for a period of time, where the communities over there were communities of color, again, very undersourced neighborhoods. So coming here, we're coming into a very similar environment. Um, so financially, I just wasn't ready for school. Mentally, I wasn't ready for school. Um, so I had dropped out after a semester, and I enlisted in the Marine Corps, thinking, you know what, uh, maybe the military will allow me to bring some economic and financial stability for, for my family. Um, you know, there's this unwritten code for immigrant families where, especially if you're the eldest, and I am the eldest of three, so as the eldest son of the family, we have a moral obligation to really financially support our, fam- our family and help them come out of the situation. So I thought the military would be a good way out. Um, but then having come back, officially on San Diego, but having come back right afterwards, I, I see that not much has changed. Uh, my family situation hasn't changed. My neighbor's situation hasn't changed. Um, and something was just wrong with the system. Um, so then I became organized right after Hurricane Sandy had happened. It, it actually devastated my district. Um, lot, a lot of families lost their homes, their businesses. And that's when I became really aware of how important climate change was. Um, you know, no one had ever could really think about how, how climate change and, and a hurricane, especially Hurricane Sandy, could impact um, our district in New York City, especially. So it was kind of profound. Right. Um, and I, I began organizing local high school students around climate change. I um, then I, when I went back to school, actually interned, in it, and then became uh, became uh, a staff member as legislative aide in the New York State Assembly, working as a legislative aide, uh, focusing on climate change, focusing on criminal justice policies and and housing policies. 
Um, and shortly after that, actually got involved in the AOC campaign. Um, so because perfect timing, I graduated from John Jay College with a degree in law and society, which is basically a sociology degree. Um, mm-hmm. And then I became a staffer on AOC's campaign as a body person, as her, um, as one of her lead organizers. And there were very pivotal moments throughout the campaign that really inspired me to, to make this move. Um, I think the first one, and people were talking to me about running, but I never really thought about it. I never took it seriously. But it wasn't until election night, actually, on June 23rd, on, uh, sorry, June 26th, AOC's primary night, um, 30 minutes before the polls closed, actually, I uh, got to a confrontation with Joseph Crowley himself. We were, we were, out, we were mm-hmm. on the corner, um, and he was talking to voters, asking the voters, and he went to congrat, uh, shake someone's hand, and this, this kid, maybe like, maybe slightly younger than me, flipped him off, and it was like, you know, he told him he was a sellout, and that he voted for AOC, and then Crowley was trying to, like, calm down the crowd and just telling everybody that all Democrats are the same, and, and I looked at him, and I'm like, you know what? No, not all Democrats are the same. And we went back and forth for a while, and people had to get in between us. And um, that's when I realized, you know what, maybe I could take, take on the big dogs. Maybe this could be it for me. But um, shortly after that, went down to Missouri uh, to canvas for Cory Bush, went down there with AOC. And even down there in Missouri, one a district very similar to mine, community of color, very undersourced. And I'm talking to neighbors uh, down there, and they're going through a lot of issues that we go through in terms of housing crisis, in terms of jobs, um, and, like, wages are scarce. So coming back and then having gone to Tijuana, organizing Tijuana for a little bit, helping the migrants who were coming up to the border, um, mm-hmm. you know, try to just provide some aid. And I think that's when it hit me that, you know, like, we have mothers and, and children coming to the border, and that should tell us that they have nowhere else to go. And uh, me having being on the Committee of Foreign Affairs, um, a lot of us organized actually went to his office and asked for him to do something about it to become a strong proponent for, immig- for immigrant rights, considering our district uh, encompasses the majority uh, demographic of, of immigrants. So he had no strong stance on it, and that was pretty disappointing. Um, so I think that's when I just decided, you know what, if no one else is going to do it, then, then I'll do it. Um, right. And we just need everyday, you know, everyday, like everyday Americans to represent other everyday Americans. And and I think that with 2018, 2020 going forward, we, we do see this energy and we should continue on that and keeping um, Democrats and Republicans alike accountable for their decision making in, in D.C. or even in the state capitol. And that's, and that's great. And I really, you know, I'm glad to see more people running and trying to, you know, you know, go after the, the entrenched people. I mean, way back. I mean, it was 2004 when I ran. Uh, I ran once uh, down here. Of course, my district was uh, very gerrymandered and mostly white, very conservative. So I really didn't stand a chance. But um, even before the 2000 election, I had gotten started getting really into just politics in general. And I was like, well, the current congressperson is just, I don't think I would ever beat him as an incumbent. So I'll wait for him to run for the Senate. And that was David Vitter, was the that, one with the, the prostitutes. And then, uh, and then I, uh, uh, 2004, I was like, all right, well, I'm going to go. And then, of course, the person I went up running against is Bobby Jindal, uh, who had <laughs> basically ran for governor the year prior and then moved into the district that he did the best in to try and run for Congress so he could sit in Congress for two terms before 
running for governor again. And that's mm-hmm. exactly what happened. And nobody wanted to put a stop to it. But it's, 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 it's going to be very hard when you're trying to going up against uh, entrenched people and going against, you know, the common, you know, what people view as, as, as what the general political thought is. But, I mean, we have, we, as, as seen with uh, Alexander Ocasio-Cortez, um, people can be defeated. You know, we can mobilize and get people out there and, and, get people in there who want to fight for the people instead of fighting uh, for special interests or just simply themselves. And so that's one of the reasons why I like to use my show as a platform for other candidates, just to get out there and say, Hey, this is who I am. This is what I support. Uh, These are the issues uh, that I think are the most important uh, to me and, and why I think that I'm going to be a better person to represent other people as well. I mean, probably your district is safe blue, uh, which, you know, Again, there's no flaw in you going after this one because, I mean, it's going to be blue regardless of if you get to nod or not, but maybe right. if you get to nod, it becomes more ethical and less – or more ethical and more progressive. Right. So what, what issues yes. – I guess what other issues do you, would you say that you differ uh, with your opponents in the primary on uh, when it comes to, um, you know, when it comes to, you know, maybe him being not as progressive enough? Uh, right. I, I mean, the biggest difference between um, him and I is that I'm someone who will not accept any corporate or any uh, Wall Street uh, special interest money. Uh, he's he's uh, accepted thousands, if not millions of dollars from groups like Goldman Sachs, Citibank, uh, you name it. And um, he's accepted a lot of money from, from payday lenders who you know, who've actually put a lot of families in this district in debt. Um, we've seen in 2019, actually, the first two quarters so far, um, that District 5 alone has the highest increase in home foreclosures. So people are losing their homes. Um, and that is the biggest, uh, next to climate change, uh, and I'm someone who does advocate for the Green New Deal, um, you know, it's the most, like, the most devastating, uh, probably most important issue there is. So, but, but wait, of, Donald uh, Trump's Donald Trump says that our economy is going great. How can people be losing <laughs> houses if the economy is going so right. great? You know, so that's the funny thing. Uh, you know, on the bigger picture, Donald Trump will throw out all these numbers, but um, politicians like Trump or even Meeks—they're not the ones who are stepping into our neighborhoods and seeing what everyday Americans are going through. They don't see how hard families go to work, are working more than forty hours a week and are struggling to put food on the table. They don't, they don't see that. They don't experience that because they are in comfort where they are right now. Um, and Meeks haven't been there for 20 years. He's, um, I think he's someone who's out of touch with the district. And um, I, I think that it, it's just time to take money out of politics. Yeah, absolutely. And we definitely need to, because, um, I mean, Citizens United was just, a ridiculous ruling and there's been other similar rulings uh with with along that way and, and of course they're going to get worse uh because the republicans got to steal one if not two uh supreme court seats of course mm-hmm. being yeah. as a, being as a member of the, of the house you don't have that much say over that but um unless unless the house decided that they're going to try to impeach one but i don't think that's i don't think that's realistic if we can't get trump impeached we're not going to get um Alito impeached or Thomas impeached. Right. So, right, uh, right. although 
on an old blog of mine, I did have like two blogs where I was like, we need to impeach Alito now because it's ridiculous. Because some of the rulings that they came up with, there was a ruling that I covered on my show a while back, which basically said that if you're not under arrest and you you have to actually say that you're invoking your right to remain silent in order to have your silence not be used against you in a, in a, in a court of law. It was the most ass backwards thing I'd ever heard. Yeah. And just because in order for you to rem- use your right to remain silent, you have to speak. <laughs> just, yeah. If you have the right to remain silent, you yeah. shouldn't have to say anything. And that should be just, that should be automatically granted. But according to these, you know, geniuses in the Supreme Court, somebody who is under arrest doesn't have the wherewithal to know their constitutional rights and have to be, and they have to be Mirandized. But someone who isn't under arrest somehow becomes a constitutional scholar or scholar and knows that they have to speak out. It's, it's just silly. And, and, and the court's only going to get worse and worse. Um, uh, are you somebody who is supportive of um, if for some reason, if somehow he manages to get elected the second, I mean, my last caller, called in he was he was absolutely convinced that democrats were going to drop the ball again and that trump get reelected i i don't necessarily agree with that um but if he were to happen to get elected again would you be uh somebody who would support or are you calling on current house members to impeach him as it is yes absolutely i mean we have you know not just a legislative duty in dc but a moral obligation to really stand up for our values as, you know, as Americans that we have, uh, that we believe in honor, courage, and, you know, commitment. And currently the president does not represent that. So we want to send a message that what he's doing, what he says, is not okay. It's just not okay. And that's what bullies do. So if we, if Democrats, um, you know, so Meeks actually, he's someone who doesn't support uh, impeaching Trump. So and that tells us that it, that it's okay for him to continue on doing what what he's doing. So we need to continue on pushing for impeachment for Trump. It's plain and simple. Like day in day out, there's something that this man says that is just outrageous. And you know it's been three years now, you know, and we're heading to the fourth year, and it just hasn't gotten better. And each day it gets worse. More people are losing their lives because of the rhetoric that he uses. It's a lot of bigotry, a lot of racism, a lot of Islamophobic, um, you know, hate message that he has in, in his speeches, and we just can't let it go on any longer because then more lives will be lost because of that. Yeah, I, I just like, you know, people are surprised, you know, that we that we're that liberals will say like, oh, well, he's a racist, oh, he's an Islamophobe, and I'm like, and like every single, it's like clockwork. Like, I, there's two conversations that I like to have with with conservatives and or they like to bring up with conservatives. And one of them is the fact that I'll bring up that Donald Trump called for a total complete ban on Muslims entering this country. And I'll put total complete in quotes because that's what he said. And, mm-hmm. and then he'll, and then they'll say, no, he didn't. He just called for a ban from seven countries. <laughs> Cause it's, it's like, it's like they're trained monkeys at some point. Like that it's the same answer every time there was a ban from seven countries. Mm-hmm. I'm like, no, initially he, when he campaigned, it was for a total. I don't remember that. Here's a video of him specifically reading from his own paper. Now, to give Trump credit, I, I, I yeah. do have to give, give Trump credit on this, that he was actually able to read the piece of paper that was in front of him. So his ability to read impressed <laughs> me. Anything other than that, just, just beyond me. But the, and then when, when they, oh, oh, 
well, that's not what he ended up, ended up implementing. I'm like, but that's the point. The point is, is that he ran so far to the xenophobes, and he, he, he and then they're like, I bring up because I was raised Jewish, and I'm like, well, what about the Hillary Clinton thing, the anti-Semitic image with Hillary Clinton and the money with the Star of David on there? Well, that wasn't a Star of David. That was a Sheriff Star. I'm like, <laughs> why would a Sheriff Star be over money? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. It, it, there's no logical reason for that, but I guess logic. Yeah, You're going to vote and, Donald you know, Trump. I don't think logic is, is what's winning you over. Definitely not. And, you know, the, the fact that he went over, he went after illegal immigration, that he calls it. You know, he went after so many undocumented immigrants, and he ran on that. And now he's going after documented citizens of the country. Right, so, people who are here legally, <laughs> and they're not going to let you get a green card if, if, you're, if you're on some sort of – and we already had those rules for some things, mm-hmm. but just add on top of that, it's like – they're here. Like what I don't understand is you have people, you know, they're saying that these people are a drain on the economy and that they're not, you know, but who, where do they go to get those people? They, they're working. Yeah. But that's actually my other bit that I haven't played yet is that I have a, a hypocrite of the week, which is uh, let's play that real quick. And then we'll get, we'll come back. Because the week, hypocrite that. of the week is Trump immigration official, Ken Cuccinelli, who said that the Trump administration wants to see people come into this country who are self-sufficient after they detained for deportation over 600 people in Mississippi while they were working, all while managing to screw up the words on the Statue of Liberty. Perhaps the burden to society are the CEOs who refuse to pay a living wage and instead hire undocumented workers below the legal rate. To see who next week's hypocrite of the week will be, tune in to Liberal Day and Radio, talk from the left, that's right, Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Central on Blog Talk Radio. So that's one of one of my points that I always make is that if why, why don't you go after the people even if you don't even make it about the, whether or not the people are documented or not these are employers who are paying substandard wages paying illegal wages is it illegal for them to pay what they pay the people that they pay them for so does that right. make sense but you know why not go after that at least of course going after conservatives. There are conservatives who don't think there should even be a minimum wage. So, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to argue that these employers are not operating above board and they're paying people illegal wages when these people are like, oh, well, there should be minimum wages immoral anyway. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, it just they're they're they're, they're pointing they just ass backwards. Like honestly, it's just don't say one thing and then it's just. It just doesn't make sense. It just never makes sense to me. Like, I try to avoid – I try my best to avoid, like, conservative trolls online just because it's just not worth it. <laughs> That's fair enough. I mean, I, 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 sometimes I'll jump into the fray every now and again. Um, but, yeah, it's – I had a whole big – like, I, I, I got dragged down into the religious political argument, and uh, these people were – I mean, they were just being, like, Jews were terrible then, and they are now still. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, like <laughs> that these people still exist. I'm just like, like. Meanwhile, I, I'm also like being raised Jewish. I never really learned much of the Bible that's not, you know, part of my Bible. But even so, I, yeah. I tend to know more about their Bible than they do. It's like, what? So well, you, know, you know, a lot of the problem is it's just how a lot of these cultural and also the way. A lot of people are just brought up in these beliefs in, in their household. It's just, you know, we're, you know, we're, we, we take what our parents teach us at least, like, as much as we can. And 
So when when we have that, and then on top of what's going on on social media and TV and all this hateful messaging, and it's worked for Republicans for years. They they ran on it with with Reagan, and and it, and it worked after that. It just worked every year on this fear mongering messaging. So when they put out the fact that immigrants are taking jobs and that you know Muslims are here to to kill Americans and and take away the Western life, um, it works. That fear messaging worked, and a lot of it's because we haven't um, built that bridge. Like, we haven't had an honest discussion, honest conversation as to why they feel the way they do. You know, a lot of times they're just angry. You know, it's angry, angry rhetoric, and it, it never comes from a place of honest, genuine discussion. Um, even though, to us, like, we think we make a lot of common sense, we're making logical arguments, but um, they're going to be stuck with what they believe because it's just what they've known their whole lives. So when they're exposed to something new, um, it's scary. You know, they don't want to admit it, but it's scary for them. Um, but, you know, we got to we have to uh, find a way to break that fear down and let them know that, you know, people come here because we're here to make a better life, you know, for our families, for and we make the economy better, and we're going to make the economy better. And if we all live in a world where it's just moral and just, we could live peacefully, but it's just not the case right now. <laughs> now, we're almost to the end of the show, but um, you're obviously running as a progressive Democrat. You supported uh, AOC uh, and, and, and worked on her campaign. So is there are there – so I could, we could go down a whole list of issues, and I could probably just get a yes on every one of them. But is there is there anything that might surprise anybody if they found out about the issues Ooh. that you support? <laughs> you know, there there are definitely things that I do want to say that I do um, support, and it'll definitely pop up later. It's kind of a surprise, but um, it's I give you a hint, and I won't. I don't want to hear an answer, but. Um, it's definitely an issue that's being discussed in democratic debates, um, and we're looking to really expand on it. So it will okay. really roll something out down the, down the line. Uh, one issue that I'm going to be coming out hard in support for is the abolishment of, of prisons. Just uh, just prisons in general, or for for profit yeah. prisons. Prisons in general. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'm definitely going to be interested in. Uh, when you roll that out, I might want to have you back so we can discuss that one because it would definitely be a that's definitely an interesting interesting topic to run on. Um, you know, I'm not saying I'm opposed to it, but and then hey, if you want to if you want to announce your your other big surprise later down the line on the show too, you're more than welcome to come back and do that as well. Oh, so. definitely, yeah, definitely, would love to. Okay, great. Well, again, uh, let everybody know where they can reach out and, and get and uh, contact you. Yeah, for sure. Um, for any questions or, or comments, you could email info at Sean, S-H-A-N, 2020.com. Okay, Sean2020.com. And thank you and, very much. Yeah. Good luck. And uh, you could, again, follow his, you can find his Twitter account uh, on, you know, on my link. Um, when I link to his, this show, I also link to his Twitter account. So you can follow him, find him there as well. And again, wish you best of luck. And again, you're welcome to come back to the show anytime, talk about Anything, bring up any other major announcements you might have. Thank you, Dan. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Good luck and have a great night. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. And that is the end of this week's episode of Liberal Dan Radio. Talk from the left, that's right. 
join in next week. We're going to be having another congressional candidate from Washington State this time, and we'll be discussing her issues as well as the other issues of the day. Uh, until then, you can follow me at Liberal Dan Radio on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Liberal Dan, and LiberalDan.com. And again, until next week, this is Liberal Dan Radio. Talk from the left, that's right.